Okay? What a privilege to be able to open the scriptures together uh, today. It's just my honor uh, to speak to those of you here, also around America and Canada, and those of you at our international locations. Uh, my hope is that uh, God would free me to open my heart and that God would open your heart to be able to receive. Uh, may our gracious God, who redeems all things, give us a capacity today to open our hands to release those things which we have hung on to for way too long and in that process to receive the good gifts that he has to give. And today we get to talk about the land between. I'm going to describe it, but uh, many of you know it very, very, very well. So let me, uh, let me describe to you the land, the land between. Uh, for four years, a uh, college student has had the opportunity, the privilege, the comfort when asked, what do you do? To be able to say, uh, I'm an education major. Uh, I'm an engineering major. And then all of a sudden there's this horrible, terrible, awful day that comes. It's called graduation. <laughs> and yet there isn't this job or career that lands that has anything to do with the four years of uh, study that they've just gone through. And I know that this is a challenge here in the States. But those of you listening internationally, uh, you know, my youngest son, uh, after graduating from high school, moved to Ukraine to spend two years serving a small congregation there. And many of his friends in Ukraine invest four years in uh, college, time, money, energy, years of their life, and then end up working a job very similar to the job that they left before they went into college. Welcome to the land between. And in the land between, we use language like for now, as in for now I'm living with my parents. Uh, for now, I'm working at the clothing store. The same clothing store I worked at when I was a senior in high school for about the same wage. For now, for now is the language of the land between. But we know this isn't just for college graduates, right? I mean, check in on the real estate agent. He's up late at night. The kids have gone to bed and he's repeating a number. The number's five, five. I've sold five houses this year. And he looks back, 2007, 2007, he sold 27 homes. You know, over one, you know, one every two weeks. Now he goes, 2010, five. Five houses. How much longer can I do this? How much longer can we bleed financially before I find another job, before I find a different job? Welcome, welcome to the land between. It's a mom that's walking through a home and uh, she picks up a 10-year-old photograph, a family picture. And in it, she looks into the eyes of her daughter who was seven at the time. Now the daughter is 17, distant, defiant, angry. But she looks at the family picture and uh, the kid looks free and innocent and happy. She goes, where did that kid go? And they're trying to do ministry to heal a church while in the process and just trying to figure out how to heal their own family. My friends, this is, this is the land between it's where many of us find ourselves today. You pass into a discouragement, a depression. This cloud seems to follow you. You don't know how you got into this depression and you don't know how you're going to get out of it. You just know that right now, prayer doesn't seem to be working and you hope it ends soon. Welcome to the land between. Now you need to know something just geographically. If you ever locate yourself in the land between, if you want to find yourself, you can actually be located on a map. All right? 
Look at this with me. I'll show you where you are. Um, there you are, right there. You are here. This, my friends, is a map of the Sinai Desert. Please notice Egypt to the left. What color is Egypt? It is green. And over to the right-hand side, up around the corner, is uh, Palestine. That's where Israel is, ancient Canaan. And it is green as well. Now, you need to know that in our story today, the uh, Israelites have left Egypt. They were in slavery there for generations. And uh, God calls a leader by the name, you know what the guy's name was? By the name of Moses. Remember, he didn't want this job to begin with. To go to Egypt and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. No, not Moses' people, God's people. When Moses is commissioned, this is what God says to him. He says, listen, I have heard the groaning of my people. I've seen their misery. I am concerned and I've come to rescue them. Now, I will take them out of the land of slavery and I will take them into the land of promise. If you look at the verse in Exodus chapter 3, it's very, there's, no, there's no space in between. I'll take them out of the land of Egypt into the land of promise. Now, Egypt, though it was the land of slavery, man, it flourished. The Nile River Delta, things just grew there. Now, they were a slave people, but they were a slave people in a fertile, fertile, fertile land. And uh, they're on their way to the land of promise, which is Canaan, the land promised to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the land of promise was sometimes called the land flowing with milk and honey. It also flourished agriculturally. But right now, they're not in Egypt, the land of slavery. They are not in Canaan, the land of milk and honey. They, my friends, are in the land between. They're in the desert. You're thinking, now, wait a second. Hundreds of thousands of people in this desert. How in the... Because if my math is right, when we check in on them, they've been there for about two years. How in the world did they eat in that brown space? I'm so glad you asked. Because God provided a food substance, and it was called manna. And manna meant, what is it? Because that's what they asked when it fell to the ground. They went out in the morning, and there with the dew were these flakes. And they went, what is this stuff? They called it, manna, what is it? And they would take it, and they would uh, gather these flakes, and put it like in a mortal and pe- mortar and pestle, grind it up, and then put water with it, boil it, and make this kind of mush, which provided food. They also bake it into cakes. And this was a substance that God provided for them out from his gracious heart. And they were able to eat this for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And the next day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And the next day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And the next day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Are you sick of this yet? Not as sick as they were. All right. In fact, we're going to check in on them. And there is, my friends, there is like a riot that is about to take place over this issue of manna. And so in uh, Numbers chapter 11, I just want to read to you uh, the riot that is about, about to break out here. Now, as I read this, I just really think this section, Numbers 11, verse 4, it's important to read this with a whiny voice. All right? The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. Oh, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. And the cucumbers, all oh, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this, what is it? All right. All right. Now. You, you might think that not much would grow in the desert. My friends, 
The land between is fertile soil. It's fertile ground for complaint. <laughs> and just hear their voice. It's like, we're sick of this. We're sick of this. We're tired of this. We're sick of this. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, after seeing the powerful hand of God in the plagues of Egypt, after crossing the Red Sea on dry ground, after receiving water in their time of need, yet they despised his goodness. Now, listen, you try it sometime. Have any of you ever eaten the same meal, the same food, over and over and over and over during a season of financial shortage or on an adventure? A buddy by the name of Kevin took a two-week skiing trip with friends, skiing and climbing trip. They would ski all day, get to the base of a mountain, summit the mountain, come back down, camp out the next day, ski to another mountain, summit that mountain, come back down, and every single day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for two weeks, they had... Macaroni and cheese. Every single stinking meal. Guess what my friend Kevin didn't want to eat for the next five years? Macaroni and cheese, right? I guess what I'm saying is, is that um, it's possible to look at a story like this and to place ourselves above the characters. And to kind of look at their complaint and kind of go, those people are idiots. I'd never do anything like that. And I think that it may be healthier to place ourselves among the characters and kind of go, you know, given the right set of circumstances, I would be right there with them. Now, this is this is serious stuff. This is serious stuff. Because they were not simply complaining about their condition. We're going to learn later in the story that they're complaining against God. And there's a difference. In longing for the days of Egypt, it's if they were saying, we were better off in Egypt. We were better off as slaves. We were better off without you. And there's something about this that is bordering on cosmic treason. So guard your heart in the land between because there is something about the spirit of complaint which can whisper, God, I was better off without you in my life. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of living in my in-law's house. I'm sick of getting to the end of a month and wondering, what bills do I pay? What bills don't I pay? I'm sick of falling into bed and I'm wondering where my teenager is. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of trying to heal this church split. I'm sick of trying to heal this broken marriage. I'm sick of it. You think that nothing much would grow in the desert. My friends, the land between, it is fertile ground for a complaint. And right about now, I've got a question. The question is, how is God going to meet his servant Moses? Remember, Moses didn't want this job to begin with. So what we're going to do now is we're going to turn the camera away from the people and we're going to turn toward Moses. He's the rock, right? He's unshakable, right? Well, we are about to listen in on Moses as he prays. And my dear friends, this is one of the most honest prayers you will ever see anywhere. So let me read it to you. Verse 11. It says, he, now just, as we read this, just, I want you to notice the pronouns. I, me, I, me, I, me, I, me. Okay. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you would put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? <laughs> Did I give them birth? 
Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. I can't carry this anymore. The burden is too heavy for me. My friends, the land between is not only fertile ground for complaint, it is fertile ground for meltdown. It is fertile ground for emotional meltdown. And if you think that term is too strong, please check out verse 15 where it says, if this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right now. If I have found favor in your eyes and do not let me see, uh, do not let me face my own ruin. God, I just have one request in this whole thing. If you love me, kill me now. Okay. Now, maybe it's just me. But I think this guy's having a bad day. All right. This guy just, he crashes, man. He's toasted. He is over. I just love, I just love the childcare imagery. Excuse me, did I go into a delivery room and give birth to these people? I'm not their mom. I think like for Moses, this isn't like carrying, this isn't like carrying a baby across a desert. This is like carrying a tractor across the desert. He just goes, this is too heavy. I can't carry this anymore. It's too heavy. I can't carry it anymore. Question, whose voice do you hear there other than the voice of Moses? Whose voice do you hear there? I hear the voice of a couple that has gone in for medical test after medical test after medical test after medical test. And yet there is no solid diagnosis yet. And finally the wife just goes, this is too, this is too heavy. I can't carry this anymore. I hear the voice of parents trying to serve the church. And they have a child that has run far from them and far from God whose heart is inaccessible, and they don't know if this kid is ever going to come back. There's a breaking point where go, this is too heavy, I can't carry this anymore. I hear the voice of a pastor trying to navigate ministry in the middle of a divisive split. There just comes a point where you break. You God, I can't carry this anymore. I hear the voice of a camp director staring at a list of telephone numbers. 14 telephone numbers representing 14 phone calls that he has to make. It has come to light that that summer a uh, 23-year-old counselor was involved with a 16-year-old camper and there's a pregnancy and he's got to call the board members and a few donors And he starts on an afternoon to work his way through the list, conversation after conversation, and he feels like someone has hooked up a hose to him and is draining him dry. That night he is absolutely drained, but he cannot sleep. He just goes, this is is too heavy. I cannot carry this anymore. Everybody who serves in a leadership capacity for any length of time understands this emotion. doesn't matter the country. It doesn't matter the position. Throw yourself into spiritual leadership. And you will have moments where you come to the end of yourself. 
Ask the question, whose voice do you hear there other than Moses? I hear mine, man. Uh, Ada Bible Church that I've had the privilege of pastoring now for uh, 27 years uh, is a sizable church, but it took forever to get off the ground. I mean, uh, Chris and I, we were married, uh, 21 years old, started preaching at the church a couple months later. It was kind of a failed church plant, and we came in, there like 20, 25 people, some wonderful families there. And I just started preaching on a weekly basis. And I wasn't their pastor. They just said, hey, would you be willing to fill in until we, until we find a real pastor? <laughs> I do. Th- they are still looking, you know. Uh, and man, it started to grow. 25, 30, 40, 50, 70, 80, over 100 in three years as young couples and college students made this church their home. And it was euphoric just seeing this grow. And you know, I charted out the growth and saying, okay, been two years from now, we'll be this large. And we announced that we were going to be building, moving out of the, literally, we're meeting in a small house, a ranch house structure. We we're going to be building. We announced that we're going to build next April. And the next April, I had the leadership challenge before my sermon of standing in front of the congregation and saying, you know, um, we announced that we were going to be building this April. But our plan isn't together. Our funding isn't together like we thought it was going to be. Rather than rushing into a building program that we're not ready for, I, we think it's better to hold off until next April. And people came and thanked me. Thank you for not leading us into a program we're not ready for. And yet during that year, a manufacturing company, we owned some property. They came in and they said, hey, we would like to buy your property. All of a sudden, well, if we sell it to them and we get this cash, it'll help us build the building. But it means we need to relocate. And all of a sudden, all of this deliberation about possible changing and checking out different properties and what's for sale, what's not for sale. And the clock was ticking. And the next April, I had the wonderful leadership opportunity of standing in front of the congregation before a sermon and saying, you know, we told you it was going to be this April, but it's going to be next April. Honest. Strange thing, I scour my memory. I don't remember anybody thanking me that Sunday. And the following April, I had the wonderful leadership opportunity to stand in front of our congregation and to say, we're still not ready. It'll be next year. And during that time, our church grew from 100 down to about 50. As couple after couple after family after family just said, um, we just need to find something else. You get a phone call, be a guy, and she says, hey, I'd like to go out to coffee. And you're going, oh, no, no, no coffee. <laughs> and he'd say, look, you know, uh, we, just, we just need to find something else. Now, understand something. Going from 100 to 50, these weren't numbers. These were people. These were faces. These were families. These were people that we had served with, given with, prayed with, and in some cases cried with. And the financial weight grew on a diminishing number of shoulders. The responsibility of staffing the nursery, mowing the lawn, cleaning the church and all that. So I say, you know, my wife and I just really need to find something else. It's not you. I always felt like I was being broken up with, you know. It's not you. We just need to date other churches right now, you know. And the next year we did build, and on opening Sunday, we were at about 100 people, and we were overjoyed just to be back where we had been over three years before. 
My father was a pastor. I was raised in a pastor's home. I believe that I was prepared for days of disappointment. I don't think I was prepared for years of disappointment. <laughs> I don't think I was prepared for years of being a disappointment. <laughs> and it's just this time where just something crushes you slowly over time. And you go, God, this is, this is just too heavy. I, I can't carry this anymore. I wonder how, I wonder how God's going to meet this guy. And I, I hope, I hope that God moves toward him gently and graciously, not just for Moses' sake. I go, maybe as we see God move toward Moses, maybe the way God moves toward Moses is how he might move toward us. When we're worn out and we're exhausted and we're tired. And we go, I can't do this anymore. Verse 16 of this chapter says, The Lord said to Moses, bring me, and there's a number there, what is it? Seventy of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of the meeting that they may stand there with you. Now I will come down and speak with you there and I will take the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. Now I don't know how exactly how this worked, but remember the Israelites are in the desert, Right? And they were to build this, it's called the tent of the meeting here. There's another word we use for it, the tabernacle. It was a portable worship center. It was called the tent of the meeting, not because that's where people met. It's where you would go to meet with God. It represented the physical presence of God on earth. And so the Lord gives instructions to Moses. Okay, you go to the tent of the meeting and uh, bring 70 people with you that already have leadership uh, capability, who have demonstrated themselves as leaders. And so... Uh, I imagine Moses there and like he's got, you know, 35 guys and you know, 35 guys. And then the instruction is, this, I will take the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. I don't know how exactly how this worked. Apparently, when when Moses is appointed, recruited to be the leader of the people, apparently he received a very unique God endowment. It's like he received a very special filling of God's spirit for this leadership task. And so God here says, look, I'm going to take the spirit that's on you and I'm going to multiply it. I'm going to take the spirit that is on you and put it on him. So now you're supposed to have like 70 mini Moseses. All right. (laughs) And I love the language because it's the same language that Moses used. Moses says, I can't carry this anymore. The burden's too heavy for me. And the Lord responds, I will take the spirit, put it on them. And they will help you carry the burden so that you will not have to carry it alone. And something in my spirit just goes, yes. You think that not much would grow in the desert. The land between is not simply fertile ground for complaint and for meltdown. My friends, the land between is fertile ground for God's provision. And he provides, here he provides leaders for, to, to team up with Moses. And I just go, what if he does that? I mean, what if he still does that? What if he provides, not just for Moses, but what if he desires to provide for us? What if he's good? And what if he's gracious? And what if when we're worn out and beat up and we open our hands, we say, I can't carry this anymore. What if 
Our gracious God says, keep your hands open. Let me provide. As you open your hands to release the crushing anxiety that you've been carrying, leave your hands open to receive whatever God would provide into your life. I I don't know what this is going to be for you. Sometimes God provides employment or better employment. Sometimes he provides a capacity for contentment to do without luxuries that used to be normal. And God provides either a job or he provides, he provides the patience to send out one more resume. He provides the strength to make five more phone calls. But God provides. He loves to provide. It's what he does. You open your hands to release really to God, I cannot, I don't know how I entered this depression. I don't know how I'm going to leave it. And just trust that God will provide for you. He may provide for you by pulling you out of the depression. He may provide for you by giving you daily strength to endure this time of depression. An unexpected phone call or email from a friend. You walk into church and you sit down and the scriptures are open and there is a spookily well-timed sermon for your situation. And God provides. He loves to provide. There's a story about another famous meltdown in scripture. A guy by the name of Elijah, hundreds of years after the time of Moses. He has poured his life into rescuing the spiritual heart of his people. Only to find that uh, Queen Jezebel, a wonderful lady, once you get to know her, uh, (laughs) that Queen Jezebel is going to kill him. And he runs for his life. He runs for his life. It says he ends up under this tree. He sits down under the tree. And it says he prayed that he might die. Sounds a lot like Moses' prayer. And he says, I'm no better than my forefathers. I'm not accomplishing anything that the generation before me and the generation before that didn't accomplish. My life, my life's work has amounted to nothing. Okay, just kill me now. And he lays down and he falls asleep. And it says that in the scripture that an angel touches his arm and he awakens. And near him was a jar of water and bread cooking over hot you know what that means? You can not only see the bread, it smelled the bread. There is something about that story that I love that touches me at a deep, deep spot because I'm expecting him to get a lecture and God makes him lunch. I'm expecting him to be awakened. Who told you to run? Now you turn around and get back there. It's kind of like, hey dude, you could really use something to eat. You know. (laughs) I love that. I love that. God feeds him. I just ask you again, what if he's good? What if he's good? What if he provides? Now, we've solved one problem, and that is Moses has a leadership issue, and now he's got multiplied leadership. But we kind of hit pause on the other issue. Remember, there are, you know, the manna riots of the Sinai Peninsula. Don't forget that that's happening right now. And so uh, the Lord desires to address that issue as well, the, uh, the issue of lack of meat and being sick of the manna. 
So some simple instructions here that you'll enjoy. Verse 18, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat to eat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, ten or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. Yes, my friends, it is right there in the sacred writ until it comes out of your nose. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Somebody's in trouble. <laughs> did you notice that? Because you have rejected the Lord and wailed saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? See, this is the deal. They were not simply complaining about the cafeteria food. They had turned a corner where they were saying, God, we were better off without you. We were better off in Egypt. We were better off as slaves. We were better off without you. And there's something here that there's borders on cosmic treason. We were better off not being your people. We were better off without you. And so here's this promise. I will give you meat to eat for, for a month. And Moses goes, oh, time out. If we roasted every lamb and barbecued every goat, and I set out fishing ex, you know, expeditions, and they brought back all the fish of the sea, I couldn't feed these people. How are we going to have food for a month? And there's a very brief answer here that I just love. Let this sink in. The Lord answered Moses. Verse 23. Is the Lord's arm too short? Are you, are you questioning my goodness or my competence? Is this a capability issue? I mean... Some of you today, that's, that's just why you're here. and That's just what you needed to hear. Is the arm of the Lord too short? Is God too weak to intervene? The land between is not only fertile ground for God's provision, and I'm sorry we have to turn the corner here. It is fertile ground for God's discipline. And there's part of the story here that is just... Uh, God sends like the quail migration of all quail migrations it's like it says they came low around a wind blew them in like three feet high doesn't knock them out of the air with a tennis racket you know <laughs> and it said that each person gathered like 10 word in my bible is 10 homers it's like a bushel basket 10 of those a truckload a person and it says they laid it out on the ground i think to dry it and then you read this in the text it says but while the meat was still between their teeth, the Lord's anger burned against them and sent a wasting plague, my friends, and people die. Which does two things for us. First is, um, you know, the issue of the disciplining hand of God is a troubling issue. But second, it makes it a great mealtime story for your complaining children. <laughs> I'm just, you know, honey... Before you complain about the vegetables, daddy's going to read a Bible story. <laughs> they complained about their food and God killed them. <laughs> Just thought you'd want to know. Eat the potatoes. All right. <laughs> But 
come on, man. I mean, they complain about food and people drop. Think about discipline with me for a moment. We respect loving parents who bring timely and appropriate discipline to their children. Now, that doesn't contradict their love. That's part of their love. You know, you know what discipline is? It's inflicting pain for redemptive purposes. It's not causing pain for pain. It's pain to rescue something. And God's trying to rescue something here. Discipline. Inflicting pain for a redemptive purpose. We, we respect an employer who has a promising employee who's perpetually tardy and someday just skips out for no apparent reason. We would respect that employer for calling in this worker and saying, listen, things have got to change. That's not the way we work around it. It's not the way we operate. We would respect that employer for bringing appropriate discipline into the life of a promising employee. I just got to ask the question, if we would respect a parent and we would respect a coach, why would we not see God as an authority figure who is fully capable and right and just in bringing correction where it is needed? And here's the warning. We are naive to think that we are immune from his corrective hand. When we embrace a spirit of complaint that begins to go, I was better off without you. I was better off without you. I was better off in the old life. God can correct. It's also the fertile ground for God's discipline. Okay, what, what are we supposed to do with this? With this story? I mean, what's, what's going on here? I think at the core, what we learn is that the land between is fertile ground for transformational growth. It's one of the best soils we will ever be in in our lives to learn to trust our Heavenly Father. And I think that's what God's whispering throughout this story and throughout our story. I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me. Hey, understand something. When this group, the Israelites, when they leave Egypt, they are not an orderly, well-formed group of God followers. They have just been exposed to generations of idol worship in Egypt. They are an unruly mob of ex-slaves indoctrinated in generations of idolatry. And they are going to the land of promise. And they're not ready. They are not the people of God yet, my friends. The land between the desert, the two years that they've spent there so far, was intended to transform them from the people of slavery to the people of God. They needed this time. And throughout the time, God is saying, I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me. When you run out of water, I need you to trust me. When you run out of food, I need you to trust me. When Pharaoh's army is attacking you, I need you to trust me. Because you're going to get into the land of promise and you're supposed to be my people there. And if you start to run out of food and you run off to the shrine of the god Baal or Baal, this whole thing that I have planned for you is going to implode. I need you to learn to trust me. I need you to learn to trust me here. The land between is fertile soil for transformational growth. It is in that space in the wilderness that we learn to pray. And I mean really pray. It is in that space that we learn to depend. That In that space that we go, this is beyond me. God, I need you and I need you now. The land between 
is fertile soil for transformational growth. But my friends, this will not happen automatically. This does not happen. We have, a, we have an expression in the States. It's time heals what? Time heals all wounds. My friends, this is not true. There are some people, and time does not heal. They get bitter, angry, caustic, acidic, and poisonous over time. What this means is that when you travel through the land between, your heart is in danger. There are choices of the heart that have to be made in this land that are going to determine who you are out there in the future. Whether you, uh, the land between is the, the wilderness is the best greenhouse for transformational growth. The wilderness is also the place where faith goes to die. And we choose. Moses opens his heart, pours his heart out to God. The Israelites, they just complain against God. And there's a difference. I don't know about you. I don't, I don't have to extend an invitation for complaint to show up. Complaint arrives as an uninvited guest. You know what I'm saying? You experience yet another disappointing day and you walk into your house and you discover the complaint has moved into your guest room, taken all the drawers, is doing a load of laundry and is rooting through your fridge for something to eat. <laughs> Listen, even as you seek to dislodge it, as you change the locks and move its luggage to the curb, it sneaks back in the guest room window. Complaint resists eviction. You know, we've heard it said that good movement pushes out bad movement. And bad movement pushes out good movement. You deter complaints return by inviting another guest into the house. And that guest is trust. God, I don't understand this and I don't like this. But help me to trust you in this. I open my hands to release. I open my hands to receive. Please provide. Because we're dying here. And you invite in trust. And then when complaint tries to move back in, it discovers the trust has already taken the guest room and is utilizing all the drawers. And is already occupying the empty seat at your table. Trust evicts complaint. They are simply incompatible roommates. What I'm saying today is that that space in your life that you most resent is the very soil where God wants to produce the crop we so desperately desire. The land between the space that we hate is the very soil where God does some of his richest and deepest work. And so, may God bless you in the land between. May you guard your heart. May trust grow. May our gracious God who knows what we need and provides it when we need it. Our God who redeems all things. May he restore your laughter. May he increase your joy. 
may you find him present and good in the land between. God bless you.